Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. For more information about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, visit us at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Happy Father's Day to all of you who are fathers. And for those of you who don't remember the word Father as fondly, we pray that our perfect Heavenly Father will meet you here today. The scripture reading today is going to be in Psalm 6, and Darren Smith is going to bring us the message in a minute. If you'd like to follow along, there's a Bible underneath the chair in front of you, and that's on page 449. So my name is Trisha Mackin, and I'm married to Troy Mackin. We've been married for 34 years, and we serve here as shepherds. And also we work with the children. Troy works in the tan room with the second and third grade, and I serve with the babies. And we actually have three grown sons, our oldest and his wife and their one-year-old Caleb. They attend here and are greeters, so you'll probably meet Brendan and Megan at some point. Our middle son is on Young Life staff, on property staff in northern Arizona. And our youngest son has two children, and he and his wife live in Fort Worth. So very pleased to bring you the scripture reading today from Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The word of God. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your holy word. And thank you for the hope that we have to know that you will always be there for us. Father, we just pray today that you will anoint Darren and his words. And Father, that it will really touch our hearts, and just give us vision and wisdom for the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, For those of you who do not know me, my name is Darren Smith. Uh, I'm a non-staff elder, a member of the the preaching team, and I would also like to uh, wish you a a happy Father's Day. Um, Our our sermon today is not a traditional Father's Day sermon in that we're not going to talk about being an earthly father, but it is a Father's Day sermon in that we are going to um, explore our Heavenly Father and um, look to Jesus Christ, our hero. And so we are in a sermon series on uh, the book of Psalms. And really, when you think about the the book of Psalms, um, just look at it this way. There are 150 poems that were meant to be sung. Uh, They are praises. They um, express uh, extreme emotions uh, and a wide range of emotions, everything from deep despair to the mountaintop of elation. Um, And they are just um, what I would say Christ-centered Um, And uh, when you think about the Psalms, one of the things I like to point out is that 
Jesus himself would have remembered all of these psalms. He would have sung these um, as a child and as he grew up. And indeed, um, even in the passage today, there's a quote that he then later says. And so um, this is very Christ-centered. And I would say that they are um, very popular for a couple of reasons. Um, one, uh, that they are very accessible uh, they, are, they are things that you can just pick up and read. They stand alone. They're individual. And so they're very accessible. They're easy to read. And then the second thing is that they balance what I would say theology of God with our emotions. So um, it speaks to us. And there's some, some, some songs that we sing that are just um, full of emotions and they move us and they touch us. And I think that's why Psalms are, are so important. And what's happened um, over uh, church history, church leaders and theologians have uh, taken psalms and they've grouped them together uh, in, in uh, content and um, emotions. Now, this is not divinely inspired. It's just like the chapters and the verses in the Bible. It's mainly for organizational purposes. But there's this one little group uh, called the penitential psalms. Um, now, penitential is not a word that I've uh, maybe ever used, uh, but really what it, what it means is repentance. And the, so there's seven psalms of, of repentance and or sorrow. And so this is the first of that organization and of that, that grouping. And so what I would say today in this psalm, uh, there's nothing in it that David uh, expressly is repenting of, although you can read that in there, but this is a song primarily of sorrow. It's a song for the weary soul. And I would say this as we get into this, um, <clears throat> when I think about Psalm 6, uh, I just want to pause for a minute and I just want to say, man, I, I get this. I get, I get David. I feel him. Um, for the last uh, weeks and maybe even months, I can't explain it, um, I've been in what I kind of describe as a funk um, and, and I don't know exactly why, other than we live in a, a fallen world. Um, there are some big things going on in, in our life, um, but there's also all these little things. And so if you were to ask me, why have you been in this, uh, this little funk that you're in, Darren? I, I, I would say to you, probably it's just a little bit of everything. It's a, um, a little bit of, of, of all these things. I'll tell you, I've got this um, weight vest that I wear um, occasionally, and it's one of those weight vests um, that you can put sandbags in, you know, and if you, if you put that on with no, with no sand in it, it's pretty easy. But as you start to put um, things in it, it starts to just wear you down. And, and what's amazing about that is I think it can go up to like 40 pounds or something. You put 40 pounds on you and, and, and it'll, it'll slow you to the point where you can barely walk. And, and I think sometimes in our lives, sorrow is that way. It's just adding on little things along the way until you feel weary. And I can say that to you because I know you feel the same way. I know that you've either gone through that, you're going through that, or you will go through that. Those are the three stages of, of sorrow and trouble in our lives. And if you're not in that right now, praise God, but I would bet you that many of you are, and, and I know you are. I know that you feel loss, Abuse, betrayal, anxiety, hardship, life, life just can wear you down. It can make you full of sorrow, and that's because we live in a sin-filled world, and it wasn't meant to be that way. 
And you know, it's, it's tempting to look at this and to try to figure out what exactly was happening in David's life. Um, <clears throat> David was a man after God's own heart, but he made some really sinful decisions, didn't he? He made some really terrible decisions, and so maybe the sorrow is a result of some of that. Um, David was also king, and that was a treacherous time, and people hated him for that. People tried to overthrow him. Indeed, even his own son tried to kill him and take over the throne, and maybe the sorrow is from that, but I I don't want to spend too much time on all that today because it really, frankly, it doesn't matter. You see, in this psalm, the point isn't the cause of the sorrow. The point is where do we go when we're sorrowful? What should we do when we are weary? Where does the weary soul find rest? And indeed, that is our title for today, Rest for the Weary Soul. Now, this is a sad song. It's a sad poem. There's sad lyrics. And so there are movements in this. And I think there's just basically three movements in this psalm that I want to look at. And if you'll allow me, we'll use that um, as the outline to look at these emotions that David is feeling. So the first thing that we see is that he begins by crying out to the Lord. There's a, there's a cry, there's a plea to the Lord. The second thing then, he moves into remembering the Lord, crying to remembering. And then finally, the resolution of the psalm is when he begins to trust in the Lord. So trusting in the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at today, crying, remembering, and trusting. So let's jump in and look at this first little bit here about crying to the Lord. In verse 1, he says, Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, but be gracious to me, O Lord. For I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? And so let's look at what he's really experiencing here. And this is going to be kind of more of the surface level, just what we can deduce from what's happening here. And that is, number one, this is obviously a personal lament. It's deep darkness that he doesn't feel like he can get out of. Again, it's like a weight vest. He's, he's running against the wind, and he doesn't see a way out of it. And I like what, what he writes here. What the Spirit inspired, it says, I can feel it in my bones. And you know what that means. When you feel something in your bones, that means that it begins to affect your entire body. And what's interesting is when you are stressed or you have anxiety or you have deep sorrow, um, it affects you differently, but oftentimes it affects your body. As I've been in this little funk, I've been telling Audrey, my wife, I'm like, I just feel toxic. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know what it is. I just feel toxic. I can't get up. I, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. It's all these things. And when you become this way, some of you can't sleep. Others of you can do nothing but sleep. And you're still tired and you don't know why. And it just goes down into your bones and you can't shake it. You can't get rid of it because it affects your, your, your body. And then he also says, my soul is troubled. Now, this is a deeper level. So your body is one thing, but now he's talking about his innermost being. He is, he is troubled. This is everything about his inner being, and it is troubled. He's losing hope. He's beginning to become disappointed to despair again. He's, he's, um, he's unhappy, and he's probably disappointed in other people, but he's also disappointed in himself. And I like how he finishes verse 3 there, which isn't a finished verse at all, right? It's just, he just says, oh, Lord, just how long? It's an unfinished statement, and it's, it's interesting. If you're around me 
when I'm, I'm trying to do intricate things or stressful things, things that are stressing me out, I, I don't finish all of my sentences. And um, that's, I got I to gotta guess that's really fun to be around me at that time, right? I just, I can't even, I can't even process it. I'm one of those dudes. I can't, I can't do two things at once. And I'm so focused on this one thing. And David appears to be sort of there too. It's just this, this cry of his innermost being. And he says, Lord, just, just how long? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to ask for, but I'm just asking how long is this going to happen? So what's really happening here? What's, what's below the surface level? That's what he's experiencing, but what's really happening? Well, I would propose, and I think, that he is really struggling to understand his identity in relationship to God. He's struggling to understand how God is going to relate to him. You see, he asks, do not rebuke me or discipline me in in your anger. What he's basically saying here is that my life is a mess. My life is a mess, and I'm asking you for grace, but I don't want you to gloss over this because this is a deep, deep issue in David's heart. See, what he's really trying to figure out is what is the basis of my relationship with God? He's saying, my life is a mess. People are against me. I'm crying out to you. I'm whining. I'm complaining. I'm asking for help. Are you going to be angry with me? Are you going to be angry with me for crying to you? And don't you see what is really happening here? This is a common issue in all of our lives. He doesn't know his identity in relationship to the Father. See, he's, he's entered what I believe is a kind of this transactional relationship. In some ways, he's treating God like a, like a friend, right? Like, you know, your friends that wear you out, that they, they, just, they just go on so long and too much. They're kind of what we would call a human sponge, right? They just keep taking and taking and taking. And he's, he's acting like that's God. Like he can come to God and, and like he's pretending like he can almost give something to God. Like I'm a king and I can give you great things, but now I can't. So do you still love me? See, he doesn't understand that he's not into to a tra- transactional relationship with him. And what this means for David and for you and me is that God has the heart of a father, he has the heart of a father to you. You're not in a transactional relationship. It's like even when your life is going well, you realize you have nothing to offer God, right? You're offering him the same amount as when your life is a mess. You're not into some um, you know, friendship with him. Um, man, I, I hate those shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. No, he's not your homeboy, man. Like, like don't do that, right? He's your hero. He's your hero. He's the son of the living God, You are the son of the father and you don't offer anything. And God is not waiting for you to get it right. He's not waiting for you to clean yourself up before you can speak to him. You see, he loves you. He likes you. Do you know that? Do you know that he likes you? And he's not worried about the mess of your life. And when I mean that is he's not concerned with his ability to take care of it. It's like sometimes I think we look around in our lives and whatever that problem is, and it could be dark, and it could be um, what other people might say is insignificant. I don't know what that is, but it's almost like we look at God and we're like, well, this is too much, right? I'm asking too much for this, or I got to fix it because surely God isn't concerned with these type of things. Is this too small? Is it too insignificant? And we're not in that relationship with him. He's not worried about that. Because we are his children, we have a birthright. We have a God-given birthright 
to cry out to him. My, my, um, my kids can come to me and ask me for anything. Now, I'm not going to necessarily always give it to them, but they can come to me, and they can talk to me, and they can enter into a relationship with me because they are mine. And that is how God looks at us. Your birthright was purchased on, in Matthew 27, verse 45, the worst day ever. Jesus hangs on the cross, and this is what the Bible says. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus, a part of the Trinity, right? One and three, three and one, had never, ever felt a separation from the Father or the Holy Spirit. And so for the very first time, he is forsaken. He is alone. He was separated. And you, don't you see, he feels that isolation, he feels that isolation, but he's purchasing your birthright. He was forsaken, so your identity in him would never be forsaken, and you are his child. You may cry to the Lord, and that is the first step to finding rest for the weary soul. The second thing, then, he turns and he begins to remember the Lord, remembering the Lord. And this comes in verse 4. When David writes, turn, O Lord, deliver my life and save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you in Sheol who will give you praise. I am weary with my moaning every night. I flood my bed with tears and I drench my couch with weeping. So what's, it, what's he experiencing here? I would say that this is a crossroads in, in this psalm. It's a, it's the, um, it's a turning point for David. So first he cries, and then he, he actually turns and for the first time begins to look to God. You see, what I think sometimes happens in our life is that our, our sorrow um, creeps up on us. It stuns us, and it makes us take a step back and lose orientation. We forget where we're at. It reminds me um, of a great quote. When I was a kid, um, one of the greatest athletes um, of that time was Mike Tyson. And if you don't know Mike Tyson, look him up. Unbelievable boxer, arguably the best boxer of all time, um, but I won't get into that right now. Um, but Mike Tyson was unbeatable for a long time. He was Iron Mike is what they called him. He's fearful. And um, he has this great quote, and I love it. And he said um, people would talk to him about how others planned to beat him. And this was his quote. He said, um, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And um, what, what he was saying was, you, you come into the ring with all these plans of what you're going to do, but you're going to face adversity, and it's going to either knock you out, which he did a lot, or it's going to stun you, and then what are you going to do? And he, he's, he subsequently followed up on that, and he said, you better have a plan B, right? And I think so many times in our life, that's, that describes the sorrow that we feel. We come into it, and when we have these plans of what's going to happen, we're going to put our faith and trust in Jesus, and then we're going to start doing all this way. And it's not going to take very long until you get stunned, until you get punched in the face in some way or other. And it makes us come back and forget. But what's happening here is he's coming back to his senses. He's awakening again, and he's turning his gaze to the Lord. Now, when you see the word Lord in this text, in some um, versions, it's all capitalized, and that means it is the proper name of God the Father. 
And man, I wish, I wish we could spend some time today unpacking that. I would have to get somebody smarter and somebody who knew what they were talking about. But the, the, the word there is Yahweh. That is the proper name of God. The most powerful word ever spoken is Yahweh. And it means so many beautiful things. But one of the things that it means is, is the covenant keeping or saving name of God. It is, it is the name of he who keeps his covenants. And he's coming to his senses and he's speaking the name of God and he's beginning to remember the promises. And he indeed, even he sees whatever is happening in his life as a chance to magnify God. Here he says, if I, if I die, if I go to Sheol, who, who will remember you? Who will give you praise? In other words, it's kind of like Paul, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain, right? So as long as I'm here, I'm going to honor you. And he's asking God to give him more help and more time. And so what's really happening here? Well, he is calling to mind the focus and, and the nature of God. So um, when he's crying, he's trying to figure out who he is. But now as he's remembering God, he's remembering the nature of the living God you see, I, be I believe the beginning of rest for the weary soul is to turn your eyes to the God who keeps his promises. There is something in God that we touch by asking for grace. <laughs> He's our father. I don't know um, what you think of, of your earthly father. I don't know what you think of, of your heavenly father. Um, for much of my life, um, I saw him kind of as a detached grandparent. Let me explain for one second. Um, my grandfathers, I never really knew. My, my, one of my grandmothers was sweet, and then my other one was not so sweet, okay? She was a challenge. She had a really tough life. We tried to give her a little bit of grace, but she was um, very cold, very detached. She was 153 from the time I can remember. Um, we would go to, to grandma's house. We called her grandmother, grandma, you know? And so we would, we would ask her things like, grandma, can we watch TV or can we play? Oh, no, no, honey, we don't do that. You see, we were, we were um, nuisances, and I'm, she may have even actually told us that at one point. But anyway, so that's how we always looked at, at her, right? And I think sometimes we see God in that manner, like he's some kind of detached grandfather that's like, oh, no, no, don't do that, right? And, and, and he's not somebody that we can approach, but that's not who he is. He is not that. You see, what this means to us is that the way through sorrow is to look to God who is looking to you. Remember the covenant. Now, the thing about this is, whatever you're facing, whatever I'm facing, you can't just snap out of it, right? Um, if you have a friend that's walking through something, please don't tell them that, right? Sit with them. Sit with them and point them, point them to God. Um, and, and also, I want to say here, I don't know what the answer is. I don't have the answer. Um, and this isn't a sermon of a, of a magic genie in a lamp where we do certain things and then life's going to be good because I can't promise that. I don't know. I don't know the answers to these things. But what I do know is that he's my father and I know that he, he is good and I know that he will heal, heal our brokenness. The God of covenants does not forget his children and he doesn't leave them to drown. Matthew 14, verse 27 um, it goes in my personal hall of fame of stories of Jesus. I, I, I just love this so much. It's been a, it's been a long uh, few days or some time for Jesus. Um, so John the Baptist is executed. 
Um, and then um, he goes and he preaches to the 5,000. He feeds them. And then he decides he wants to go away and pray. And so he sends his disciples out on a boat and the winds and the waves are up. And somewhere between the hours of three and six, which make the story even more scary, um, imagine being in a boat and being swamped. All of a sudden they look up and they see Jesus walking to them on the water. And verse 27 says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, I love this story because I feel like Peter in this. Like, I don't know how bad that boat was, but it was so bad. He was like, I'm getting out of it. I'm coming to you, and I, I'm, I'm walking. And for one shining moment, Peter became one of two people to ever walk on water. How amazing is that? He steps out, and he is, he is walking, but then he begins to look around, and this is too good to be true. He takes his mind off Jesus. He begins to actually actually doubt him. And Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, what he's, what he's really saying to Peter here and what he says to us in our lives is, you know that you need me. Peter knew that he need, needed him. But really what, what, what Jesus is saying is, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? When he says, you of little faith, you don't know who I am. I'm not um, a teacher. I'm not a magician. Um, I can do miracles, which are pretty cool, but do you know that I am, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life? Do you know that by me the word was spoken and the universe was created, that I created this water, that I created these elements, that I am? Do you know that? Do you know that about me? That's who God is when we remember him. And so he may not remove you, um, from the sea. You notice that, right? They didn't, he didn't just take him out of the sea and remove him, but he comes along and he holds his hand and he rescues you. I could spend so much time on that. Such a beautiful, beautiful time with the Lord. What this causes in David is a turning of him. So he cries, he remembers, and then all of a sudden we see this trusting in the Lord. In verse 7, he says, my eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all ye workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame. On a side note there where he says, depart from me, all you workers of evil, our Savior would later quote that. And so that just shows you how much this meant to Jesus, the psalm, and how much he would know this, and it would be a part of his life. And so here on the surface, what is David experiencing? Well, he knows now in this moment that God will take care of his sorrow. Again, I don't know how it's going to happen, but he knows it's going to happen. And not only is he worn out emotionally, but now he starts to talk about all these foes that are around him. Um, and uh, there's nothing worse than feeling down and then hearing people chirping in your ear, right? <laughs> 
um, telling you, um, even if they mean well, but a lot of times they don't mean well. And, and David, un, un, unfortunately, had to hear all this voice, all this noise, and he begins to believe that the covenant nature of God is stronger than those enemies. And I want you to see here that he gets a distinct answer, and that answer is rest. It's not a resolution of the sorrow. We don't know what that sorrow was, and, and it's not that, but it's the promise of rest. It's the promise of Jesus. It's the promise of assurance in God. And what's really happening here, I believe, is that he is beginning to make his own problems God's problems, and that is where we find rest. You see, they're mocking David, but they're really making accusations against God. And the Lord heard his pleas, and David is releasing the problem to God. You know, I'm, I'm, that's something I try to think of sometimes when I'm stressed about something. Well, well, then let's just pray about it, and now that problem is God's. It's not my problem anymore, right? So um, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to be faithful, and then I, I'm not going to worry about this anymore because I can't do anything anyway. It's, it's the Lord's problem. And so David has done that to him, and he's released it to him. And so what does this mean in our lives? Well, um, <clears throat> when your faith is in God, in the midst of your sorrows, your battle aren't your battles anymore, and you can rest in Jesus. The enemies of God, people, sin, sorrow, they've been defeated, and Jesus is a great Savior that you can trust. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said this to us. He said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You notice what Jesus did not say there? He did not say, come in out of the field, come in the air conditioning, get a drink, sit down on a couch and relax. That's not it, right? He said, come to me ye who are labor. He said, take my yoke upon you. That means come and be attached to me. Learn from me. I am gentle, I am lowly, and I will give you rest for your soul. Don't you see that he carried the weight of the world and your sorrows so that you can have rest? So as we wrap up, just remember, um, when you are in this, this funk, this sorrow, this depression, the sin, whatever is happening in your life, you can cry to the Lord. He was forsaken so that your identity would be secure. Remember, the safest place is not in the boat. <laughs> it's with Jesus. And then trust that he carried the weight of the world and your sorrows so you can have rest. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come to you um, today and we... We worship you. Um, you are the great I am. You are, um, you are Yahweh. You are the God of covenants. You are the God who spoke and created the world. You are the God of salvation. We thank you for Jesus. He is our, our king and our hero. And today we pray that we would see him. Lord, I pray for all of us here. We're all um, in the middle of something um, we feel uh, weak, our faith uh, feels small, but we know that you promised um, if we have faith like a mustard seed, it can move mountains. Lord, we pray that you would take um, us and our insignificance and our brokenness, and Lord, we pray that we could cry to you and that um, we would know and remember who you are. 
and that you would help us to trust in you. Lord, we are so small and we need you. I pray for um, specifically those here who are facing deep sorrow um, and, and loss and storms, and I pray that they would find rest in you. Lord, we need you and we need Jesus, and we say, come quickly. In his name we pray, amen.